what's going on, everybody? This is Chris Starr, back with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. And as you can see by the title on today's episode, I'm going to go over my 2021 Nevada pronghorn antelope hunt. Thank you for listening again. I really appreciate you all. I love doing this. If you could, please hit the subscribe button as well as leave us an awesome five-star review. And if you have the capability, I think on like Apple Podcasts, leave us an awesome review with a couple of great words. It really does help. So let's get right into it. So it all started last year. They, the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I didn't draw anything. <laughs> Big, huge bummer. That was definitely a bummer. But then later in the year, they come out with these tags, first come, first serve. I was like, what are these? And it's basically the leftover tags of which there was quite a few for certain species, mostly deer in certain areas, in the rubies, because nobody wants to hunt in the rubies. They're like Nevada's craziest mountain range, highest, gnarliest peaks. Anyway, there was also some antelope tags left over. And it's it's literally first come, first serve. What that means is like you sit on the website and every, I think it was like 15 minutes, a tag would pop up and it's completely random. So there was like buck tags, antelope tags for all the seasons. And the one that I was able to jump on was the pronghorn antelope buck tag in this certain area for archery season. And I was like, you know, I found out about this like the day prior and I was like stoked. So I'm like just sitting on my phone and then when I can on my computer and then I even have like my brother. I was like, I'm going to go shoot my bow. (laughs) I will literally pay you to sit on this site and when a tag comes available, no matter what it is, because it's like whoever grabs the tag and puts it in their queue, like in their cart basically, has access to the tag for a certain amount of time. Then you pay for the tag and then it's yours. So I'm getting my brother set up to do it. I'm like, okay, I will pay you to sit on this while I go shoot my bow and I'm right about to leave. And on my computer, one pops up and I look archery pronghorn tag. I'm like, it's got it. I want it. It's mine. Purchase. Boom. And I got it. And so, oh, sorry, Zach. I <laughs> I knew I was going to pay you to buy this for me, but I, I just got one. So, hey, so I'm super stoked. I got the tag and what I didn't, I, I knew, but in like the moment, like the crazy moment that it just happened, you know, I looked at the date. It had started already. The season had already started four days prior. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I knew Nothing about the area, a little about pronghorn hunting just from what I've like watched on YouTube. And like, and the area is the biggest thing. I had no idea where it was, just saw the unit number. And, and so now I need to figure out how to plan and then immediately go and execute this hunt, basically. So I start looking on some places on Facebook, guys who have hunted in the area before. Hit up a few of them and just kind of get some general knowledge of the area, you know, asking some questions. I do some research on Go Hunt, which is an awesome platform online to be able to look into kind of the uh, the reports for the last few years of the area. And then Onyx Maps as well, which is awesome. It shows like property boundaries and public land and stuff like that, water holes, springs, things of that nature. And I start to build a little bit of a, an attack plan. And so then the following weekend, like I get all my stuff situated, I start shooting my bow like crazy. I go out and I buy a little pronghorn target because <laughs> those things are small. And I get that set up and I start shooting at that. So then the following weekend, and I get, I get all of my gear squared away, my tent and everything. And then I, I head on out there. I've got a few points secured from an awesome individual who had just taken a buck the weekend prior out in this unit. And this dude was super, super helpful. I really appreciated his knowledge, his input. He gave me a few water holes where a few animals have been seen. And then I head out. I head out there. I think it was like 
on a Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. And then I pull up to this water hole. It's late, dark, dark as heck. And like in this super mountainy area, it's pitch black. There's freaking, I'm driving on these mountain roads. There's cows in the middle of the road, in the middle of the dark. Like, what are you guys doing? And I pull up to my first water hole and it is completely empty. Oh man, my heart sank. It's very obvious there was water there in the past. A decent sized pond, to be honest. And it's just empty, covered in cow tracks. And that was a huge bummer. I'm like, man, this is not the way to start the trip. So, and I was just going to camp right next to the hole, you know, as my truck's pretty camo looking. I was going to park it like half mile, quarter mile away. So it's not right next to the hole. And then I was going to hike in very easily in the morning before uh, it got light. So that plan got nixed. Oof, that was a bummer. So I drove down the mountain and basically to these this other range, not too far away, wasn't too bad. It was just a couple of miles across a major highway. And so then I, I park over there and just pass out and just sleep in my truck, you know. This is next to another water hole that this guy gave me. Awesome dude. And so I get up that first day. I head out there. I sit the water hole. I don't see anything except for moo cows. It's a bit of a bummer. And I think I sit out there. Let me let me tell you, I did not grow up a whitetail hunter or a duck hunter. So I do not have the kind of patience it takes to sit in a blind or in a saddle in a tree. I am just I'm a running gun type of dude. So I'm there for maybe an hour and a half, maybe less. I don't know. <laughs> I was so anxious. I have my little decoy, a big buck male pronghorn. Got him set up like right in front of me, like he's chilling at the water hole. And I'm just seeing nothing. I'm seeing nothing. I'm like, dude, this stinks. I'm out of here. I'm freaking out of here. I'm going to go figure it out somewhere else. And so I head like up the mountain, up into the hills above it. And I start looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and I kind of like head through a few hills, head through a few draws, and I'm like cresting this hill. Oh, sure enough. Oh my gosh. There's a group of them. There's, there's a group of them. So they're up feeding in the hills right now. Later, what I learned is there's a lot more water just springing out of the ground, literally. That's why they're called springs, in the middle of nowheresville out here. And so one of the things that pronghorn will do that other large undulates do not is that they will feed and drink all day. They can take the heat of the day. And this is August, remember, early August in Nevada. So it's hot. It's hot, hot. But they can take that heat. And so they, you know, they'll rest periodically, but they'll continue to move all day. They don't need to go bed down like mule deer and elk will feed in the morning, bed down all day and then feed in the evening. They both do that. But antelope will feed and move, feed and move all day. They're super, not migratory, transitory, just super mobile. They're constantly on the move. You know, they know where their water is and they'll travel miles and miles around eating and drinking. They're not married to one spot or another. They just need water every so often and they can scratch a living out of freaking rocks, dirt, and like three sprigs of grass on a mountainside. They do not need much. They are some tough sons of guns. So I see this first group and it's a big group of does and fawns. I'm like, oh man, you know. And one of the things about pronghorn is they will see you almost always before you see them. Their main and highest sense is their sight. That's how they survive. They have a decent nose. They have decent ears. But how they view, like how we view our world, it's mostly through our vision. Most undulates view their world through their nose. That's by far their strongest sense. And that's how they interact with everything is through the smells of their environment. They can see, but their vision is not great. And they can hear, and their hearing's pretty good. But most undulates' vision is not good at all. Well, pronghorn, they're an antelope. And so they have really, really good vision. They actually have like one of the widest fields of vision of any animal. There's only like 30 degrees of the 360 degree plane that they can't see. And it's just like the very, very back of their head. And just with the quickest snap of the head, you know, that's taken away. They can see. And so like, as I'm traveling, I'm trying to do my best to travel behind my decoy, you know, and they've already seen me and they're, they're all locked in on me, if I'm not mistaken. I think some are feeding, but the most 
mature animals of the group. Their eyes are locked on me. And so I'm doing my best to walk behind my decoy. It's a pronghorn standing broadside looking forward. So it kind of looks like one. And so like I'm sort of crawling, not really crawling like a low stepping. What's the best way to describe this? I'm definitely hunched over to get all of my body behind the decoy. And there's like slits that are just like colored mesh in the decoy so that I can look through those holes and see beyond the area. But I'm, I'm decently far away still that I can like peer over the top and they shouldn't be able to see my head. But I mean, their vision is so good. I cannot tell you, and I mean, I will, <laughs> how many times I got spotted before I even knew that there were pronghorn there. I would just like turn my head to like peer over, <laughs> like look up this mountainside and there's just three pronghorn staring at me. Or sometimes I would hear them before seeing them because they would be alerting that there's something not right. Hey, what's that? It was like a, like that, like a, most of you know deer have that blow, that snort that they do. Well, this is like a snort with a little bit of a, kind of mixed into it. So it's like a, oh, that's right. Yeah, I was like, like that's the sound that they make when they're not happy. And uh, I ran into a lot of non-happy pronghorn. Let me tell you. So this first group was the biggest group that I saw the entire trip. And I mean, it was probably 25 individuals and I'm kind of peering through there. You know, a few have looked at me, but most of the group is still chilling and feeding. And they're kind of like half over the round of this hill. And so most of them have not seen what I am. And so the majority of the group is chilling. I have a buck tag, which means these does are off limits. Totally cool. I'm not trying to shoot a doe. You know what I mean? I want a a good buck, but I'm still peering over, trying to find, oh, there's one, a good buck. I mean, a nice shooter, three to four-year-old buck. Nice, tall horns. That's what I'm looking for, you know? And I see him, and there's one. So just like with most groups, there's one good shooter buck in the group, and then there's two satellite bucks, which they kind of just hang around. And it's not quite the rut yet. The rut happens similarly to elk season in September. So I'm kind of like looking around. And so he's not, that buck isn't like super unwilling to let those younger males hang around in the group because they're all just kind of chilling. They're slowly starting to get into the rut. So I'm like inching forward, inching forward, slow step. And I think I'm crawling at this point to have my entire body hidden behind the decoy. Slow stepping, slow stepping. And I have my bow in my hand. Don't forget that. (laughs) And at this point, I'm not sure if I have my pack on. I think I might have just to uh, have some water with me. So I'm slow stepping, slow stepping, inching forward. And by now, more and more of them have seen me. And because I look like a pronghorn, but their vision is so good, they know that something's off, you know? And they're not all stupid, dumb, crazy for the rut yet. So they're still pretty much on edge. They haven't really been hunted, so they're not like crazy edge, like they're not being pressured by a bunch of humans. But they really don't think, I don't think that's an antelope. Something's wrong with that antelope, basically, is what's going through their mind. And so they slowly kind of feed away. And they're like, I don't really know what that is. And the thing about slow feeding away to pronghorn, dude, that's like a light jog for a human. They're so fast. As you know, they are the second fastest land animal in the world behind the cheetah. The second fastest land animal. We used to have cheetah in North America that probably hunted them. And so that's how they, that's why they had to develop such a fast speed. So a brisk walk to them is like a sprint to a human and sprinting to them is like 55 miles an hour. It's insane. It's crazy. Later in the hunt, they'd be like, oh geez, I think I got spooked by something. I'm not sure what it was. And uh, they would run across the hillside in seconds or like down a hill and up next hill in seconds. You'll never catch up to them. If they're running from you, you'll never catch up to them. It's bananas. So I kind of botch this 
first stock, which was a surprise stock. And uh, never, you know, I kind of shadowed that herd for a little while. You can kind of shadow an elk herd if you're not stampeding them and they just meander away from you. But that is not the case with a pronghorn herd. I shadow them for a few hillsides, kind of low-key, just doing my best to stay behind them. And you still do need to work the wind like any undulate. They still have an amazing sense of smell, way better than us. But their main sense is their vision. So I'm just doing my best to stay out of sight, right? So they eventually creep over on the other side of this hill because they're not really spooked. They're just slowly moving away from that weird pronghorn. I don't know if I like that guy. Let's let's get out of here. I don't, I don't, we don't know if we like him. <laughs> We've already got a mature buck who's uh, tending to us. So let's, let's get up on out of here. And so they move over onto an adjacent hillside. And I think this is like three hills in now that I've shadowed them. Maybe 45 minutes at this point to an hour. And based on where I saw them feeding up the side of this hill, they went up the hill and then fed to the right of it. I was going to go up and then to the left and kind of do my best to kind of cut them off because they started feeding again and chilled out. And I was going to slow crest this hill. Well, it wasn't a sharp hill, unfortunately. It was a very, very rounded hill. And so I make that stalk. I get up the hill. I hook over to the left and cut up the middle. So use this dang decoy. <laughs> I don't know if this decoy let me get close. It might have let me get closer than most things, but I mean, in the long run, I just did not have great opportunities with that dang decoy. So I'm low crawling just so I basically, if you're on your knees, you have to move the decoy, keep the decoy up, grab the bow with your other hand, move your bow, take two steps on your knees. Move the decoy, grab your bow, move your bow, take two steps. It is uh, very painstakingly slow. And so I finally peek over and sure enough, they're feeding and I can see them. And then I see my target, the nice shooter buck in the back and he's feeding and I get decently close. And I basically like, I do my best to kind of press the decoy in because it has stakes to hold it up. When he saw the decoy, wasn't having it. Did his little wheeze, wheeze whistle thing that they do. And then they all took off at the speed of sound. Oh my gosh, they're so fast. So this was the biggest herd that I saw that day. This is my first day. This is that Friday basically, right? And then I kind of slowly worked my way back. And what I learned this day is <laughs> pronghorn like dwarves in Lord of the Rings, spring up out of holes in the ground. <laughs> Basically, what that means is in good hills like this, in the middle of nowhere, in Nevada, there are pronghorn around every corner. Always be on the lookout because there would be times I'd just be like thinking to myself and like looking down to make sure I've got good footing. And then I would hear, and I look up and it's a lone buck. Like, dude. You know how much easier it would have been to sneak up on a lone buck and he's running off to the next 17 hillsides. Like, shoot. I think that happened to me like three times that day. Three separate lone bucks. Good shooters. Because by the time they're out by themselves, first off, they're smart. They know where all the watering holes are and they want to be alone because their testosterone's coming in so they don't want to mess with other things. They're getting all old and cranky and cantankerous. They peel off to go be by themselves, but that's also the best time to sneak up on something is when it's alone. So, pronghorn. If you're out in the middle of nowhere, probably just Nevada, you know, keep your eyes open, keep your eyes peeled, coming over every hillside, slowly crest hills, and look, 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 and see if you can find one because they're going to be out. That's another thing. I've just been an elk hunter, Right. You're not used to them being out all day. They're out all day. They have no reason. I mean, they'll rest. They'll sleep sometimes. But they're out feeding and moving around all day. So there's no telling when you could run into one, especially one by itself. So all that first day I saw, I think one group that was smaller in the original herd and then three solo good shooter bucks. So I get back to my truck and I was going to set up my tent, you know, because it's a little more comfortable than, than sleeping on a, you know, not so comfortable truck seat. 
And there are, do you guys know what Mormon crickets are? I think that's what they're called. If you don't, be happy. Be excited because they are disgusting, like three-inch juicy black crickets. They are hideous and like a... (laughs) It can only be described as a plague because it seems like a plague because they come out every couple of years. You know, like cicadas, but not 17 years. They come out every couple of years and the ground out here all day so far is covered in these things. And you think you understand what I mean by covered? I mean covered every step on these entire hunts. Multiple crickets are jumping out of my way. It is gross, dude. Absolutely disgusting. And there's no way that I was sleeping on the ground. I had a good tent, but like I do not trust these crickets to not get in my tent and on me. And dude, I do not do crickets. I am not a bug guy. Like I'll hold a tarantula. I love arachnids, which is crazy. But dude, insects, I am not a fan. I'll freaking grab a squirrel with no gloves on. I don't give a dang. But I do not do bugs. I do not do crickets. And jeez, just making my skin crawl just thinking about it. So no chance I was going to be sleeping in a tent that night. So being hot and in Nevada, you know, I bring a few gallons of water. And you know, I think I'm starting to, I think I might have underbrought water. I'm pounding it. This is Nevada in the summer, late summer, early August to be exact. So it's hot. There are certain times where I am uh, just sitting in the truck or in the shade, sitting in the truck, running the AC a little bit just to cool off, you know. Ooh, it's rough. You know, I'm up at a little bit of elevation at this point. You know, up I am in mountainous area, so it's not terrible. But during the hot of the summer, fortunately, this area that I ended up parking at, at about two, was shaded in this hillside. That was a godsend. So I could sit in the shade of my truck, catch a nap. Even though, you know, elk hunting, you do a lot of naps because you get up early and you get to bed late, but nothing's happening in the middle of the day. So it's the perfect time for a nap. Not so much with the pronghorn. Multiple times I get out of my truck to stretch or even wake up in the morning, multiple mornings, and I get freaking, I get wheezed at. They're just sitting, staring at me. It's like 5.30. We're already at your truck. Hey, what are you doing? Who are you? Why are you here? Get out of here. We're scared of you. And then they leave. (laughs) Oh, man. These guys are cracking me up. So the following day, I asked my buddy Matt, hey, Matt, do you want to come out here and help me hunt? So that was all day Friday. And now it's Saturday. Do you want to help me hunt Sunday as well as bring me water? (laughs) I'm running low. And he and he was interested in that as well as there not being a ton of coyotes, but there definitely were coyotes out there. I think I saw I saw two. I mean, he loves coyote hunting, so you just bring your call and a nice gun and there's no season on them in Nevada, so you can, you know, hunt them whenever you want. And I would like send him off to another area and he could get his fill of yote hunting. So that was the plan for the next day. He was gonna come out and uh make that happen. So the following morning. I get up out of the truck. Sure enough, as soon as I get up, pronghorn staring at me, giving me the alarm call. That was annoying. They bust off and head over in whatever direction they go to. And so then I just start exploring the hills. Sure enough, you know, I learned from the previous day, take your time and peek, sneakity peek around hills. So I kind of go up. It's like almost the very first hill and there's a group of them feeding on the other side. So I'm like, okay, so they're feeding in a direction. I'm like, okay, they're going like around this hill. So I go around the other side of the hill, basically double time it with my bow. I've given up on the decoy at this point because it makes you just move really slow. So I'm just saying, screw it, spot and stock, no deke. And I'm booking it around the side of this hill to get in front of them, basically. And so they feed around 
And they, and so I kind of creep up and I spot them, but they're like deep down in the bowl. They didn't continue up this hill, which leads me to another rule that I basically learned about these guys. They will basically do what you don't think they're going to do. And so it eventually got to the point where I was just, okay, I think they're going to go that way, but they could also not go that way. And so that leads me to a, a great quote by Remy Warren. When you're stalking in, always think that your animal, your target is going to be and not be exactly where you think it's going to be. So they hole up in this bowl and they stay put and a couple of them lay down. I'm like, oh, geez. I just booked it all the way around this hill to then, as I make up my plan, I have to go basically completely the opposite direction back to where I just was and then follow their line because there's this little lip. There's this little lip in the the backside of the bowl that they were at. And I'm like, okay, I might be able to get a shot from there based on the distance. So I do all that. Double time all the way back to where I initially started. And then forward from there on the other side of the hill, kind of staying as low as I can. They can't see me because of the lip I talked about. And I'm going to get up to this lip and see if I'm within shot range. Well, what did I just say? They're going to do what you don't think they're going to do. By the time I made it all the way around to the other side, they had already gotten up and were feeding back to where I just was. Oh, man. So I'm like, okay. I do the loop again for the third time. Go back the other way. Back to the other side of the hill. Then (laughs) it's a broken record. All the way now further from where I got to the first time because they're feeding that way. So I want to get in front of them and head them off. Well... Instead of continuing their path, they went to the other side of the bowl. And so now they're on the opposite side of the valley that I'm looking into. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all this running. Remember, August in Nevada, it's heating up already. It's like 10 o'clock at this point. It's getting warm. No shade. There's no shade. There's no trees out here. Completely exposed, hilly desert for the most part. Oh, man. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And so I don't want to leave this group. I do find another group. So I'm like on this spine, basically. I find another group as I'm making my way over to the original group I was watching, a group of bachelor males, which is nice. Like I could shoot any of them out of this group that are of the age class that I need. And I sneak my way in. I'm coming in from above because they're bedded down right in the sun bananas. These pronghorn are so tough. It's crazy. So I work my way over right above to where they are and then start to work my way down. (sighs) But their eyesight is so good and they busted me and they blew out. And fortunately, they didn't blow towards the original group, which is on the other side of that hill. So they're doing their wheezy whistle thing that they do. Didn't alert the other groups. I'm like, okay, all right. Let's just go back to the other side of the hill. Let's go check on the other group again. So I do that, check up on them. They're feeding. They continue to feed in the direction that they were feeding out onto this flat plateauish area on the other side of the valley. So I'm trying to make, I'm at the highest point basically around in this area. So I'm trying to make a decision on how to get down and then over to them without them seeing me. And most of it is waiting for them to feed over the lip of this plateau and then down. So they eventually do do that. And then I basically, because there's a little bit of wind, so the wind cover, as well as them not being able to see me, blocked any sound that I could have made from me running. So I basically just ran at this point. I got to catch up with these guys. (laughs) Everything considered now. Get up to the plateau. I'm standing tall because I can't see them. They went somewhere over the lip of this plateau, either like forward this way, like directly in front of me, or to the left where I couldn't have seen them. If they would have went right, I would have seen them. So I'm up and I'm like standing straight tall because the slow, gentle roll 
of this plateau, you know, I can peak from a distance. It's at least over a hundred yards, probably two. And I, I can't see them. So I'm, I'm like high stepping, slowly peeking over, like take a few steps, look, 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 take a few steps, look, look, look. At this point, it's <laughs> not very still hunting. But as quickly as they can show up, they can also vanish. So it's about 11 o'clock by this point. It's getting hot as heck. I don't have my pack with me. So I don't have any water with me. So I'm like, okay, I got to get back to my truck. I am, it is hot as the Dickens out here. So I make the probably mile and a half trek back to the truck. And oh man, it's hot, hot by this point. You know, it's noon now. So I get in the truck, head over to this kind of high point, or it's actually, it's a valley actually. It's not even a high point, but it's a good point where the cell tower can reach my truck. So I have service. So I get over there, hit up Matt, say, hey, what's the deets? When are you going to head out? It's about a few hours from home. So see what's going on. He's like, yep, just finished up my jobs for the day. So I'm going to head over. And so then he starts heading over and I give him the coordinates. I drop him the pin on Onyx. And so then he starts heading over. I think I... You know, I'm hydrating. I'm eating my lunch in the truck. It's not too bad when you face the truck, the back of the truck towards the sun and then open the windows. So I myself am in the shade and then the cross breeze is keeping a decent wind through the truck. So, and the windows are down. So it's not heating up very hot at all. So I'm able to stay cool, keep myself out of the sun, rehydrate. And then I also took a nap. And then, so a couple hours go by, you know, it's like two. And then I see a pair of them, probably four to 600 yards to the north of me feeding through this kind of drainage where maybe water is pilling up. I don't know, the grass was a little greener down there. So it could have just been uh, underwater or under underground <laughs> water moving. So I go and I, and I try to put stocks on them. Or I, I slowly maneuver my way over there. What happens as usual, they just appear, right? So as I'm stalking those two, one kind of shows up out of nowhere, heading at a decent clip down the drainage to my left, headed to the bottom and sort of in the same direction that I'm going. And so I'm slowly making my way over there, kind of looking at it. I saw like where he went where I last saw him. And just like they appear out of nowhere, they also disappear. Never found him. <laughs> so I keep heading the way I'm going towards that pair down the drainage and eventually make, kind of make my way over. I'm still hidden. Get closer. I'm about 300 yards from them probably at this point. So they're feeding doe and a buck, milling around. And then I see a couple of young bucks off to the left and I see they were feeding. Yeah, they were feeding in this meadow because I kind of got to the end of the drainage where it opened up and it was nice and a lot flatter. Um, so I'm just staying hidden in these rock outcroppings till that original buck and doe head over the little lip that they're feeding on. And then, because then from there, I'll make my play once they're out of sight to get a lot closer. But they never do. These animals are smart as heck. So they stay on that lip and they just feed on that lip because they have visual from 360 degrees and that's how they survive by being able to spot danger. The only thing that can predate them, mountain lions, I guess, if they could ever sneak up on them, I don't see that <laughs> ever happening with the kind of areas that they live in. Most of the time, at least from what I've seen, I'm sure they do predate them, but the only things that could predate them is coyotes, which are not fast enough to catch them. Still got to surprise them. But golden eagles do as well. And so they, they're actually fast enough to get a hold of them. I would have to think that besides, man, that golden eagles are probably the uh, number one predator of pronghorn at this point. Nothing else is fast enough to get a hold of them. So those young bucks kind of feed and mill around. And then the older buck that was hanging out with the doe splits off from her and then he goes and joins up with those younger bucks. And so I'm like, okay, so they're on this little flat area and the drainage, there's like a ditch 
to the right of them that was basically the, the same ditch that I was heading down, the same ditch that the original pair was heading down. So I'm thinking, okay, if I run that ditch, I can get as close as I can to them without being seen and then sneak my way up the lip of that ditch to get to the flat area, which is where the bachelor group is hanging out. So I do that. They're hanging out in the on the little flat area. Head down the ditch. You see low stepping. Yeah, just like hunched over, walking. Down in there nice and quiet. Grass is pretty green, so it muffles my sound. It's an okay wind. I've got the wind. It's, it's all right. And so then I get to where I last saw them. And then I start crawling my way up, crawling my way up, crawling my way up. I'm slowly peeking over and I see the group. And it was pretty cool. I got to see some cool action of them doing some sparring. The young bucks uh, <laughs> kind of battling each other. It was all in play. Like they're not old enough for it to be, you know, serious at all. And they're too young to take anything really seriously at this point. You know, they're just, just sparring like teenagers do. Just having a good time. So, and the older buck isn't participating with any of that. He's not really here nor there. He's just hanging out. And so, of course, you know, I want to target that older buck. And so I get within 60 yards of them. I'm literally hiding in the grass. I'm at, I'm completely flat now in the grass. And so I'm just basically waiting for my opening. It was uh, damn near possible. I'm about 60 yards in the grass, just kind of watching them, waiting for them to put their heads down or just some mistake where I can get up to a crouch and I can shoot from a crouch. And uh, pronghorn are small, but I was comfortable with my shot at that range. I've been shooting all spring and summer, you know, so I'm pretty deadly. And I mean, man, I only had my head up, barely. And I was still looking through grasses and that older male sees something he does not like, and then he just locks on my position. <laughs> oh, man. And, and so they just stare. They'll just sit and stare at something that they didn't like the sight of for what seemed like an eternity. He's just staring at my spot. I'm like, shoot, I know he's got my number. He didn't wheeze at me or anything which is nice, but, and, and the other, the younger males are still screwing around, but he's just locked onto me. I'm like, dude, this is not good. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to, to move up to get a shot. And sure enough, after however long, he starts, he's like, you know what? I don't like this. Don't like it at all. And he starts to walk off. And then the younger bucks follow him. And remember I said their light walk is like a decent paced jog for a human. So they jog off and then they disappear below the top of that flat area. I'm like, okay, now's, now's my chance. <laughs> so I uh, fast crawl as best I can with my bow to get up to somehow within shooting range. And by the time I get over the top of that flat area, they are so far away, 200 yards. I'm like, dude, it's always something with these guys. <laughs> They're so fast. Oh my gosh. But that's how they stay alive. They stay alive by being faster than everything out there and by being able to spot everything out there. So, oh man, I'm like, all right. Well, you know, it's starting to get late by this point. It's like five or six, probably six. You know, it's August, so it gets, you know, it takes forever to get dark. I'm like, okay, well, this is not happening. They're so far away. So I'm like, all right, well, that's probably my evening hunt, you know? I gave it my darndest. I gave it my best. Gave the old college try. So I head back to the truck. I drink my last bit of water. And by now, Matt should be getting close. So I get back to the truck. That's I parked the truck where I have that service, you know? So I'm like, yo, what's up? He's almost there. He's almost to the turnoff of the highway to start like heading into the public land, heading into the BLM basically. And it should take him you know, about 45 minutes to an hour from getting off of commonly traveled dirt road, <laughs> very flat dirt road, and then onto rocky, tumultuous mountain roads, basically, you know, just like a two track of rock. 
he's like, I, I couldn't find the turn. I couldn't find the turn to get back on. And then uh, I was running low on gas, so I need to go get some gas. I'm like, dude, why didn't you get gas before? Like, <laughs> we had, it's oh man, he's not a super experienced hunter, so I'll cut him some slack. But one of the main things you do is like whenever you know that you're about to have your last turn before you hit BLM and nothingness, you fill up, fill your truck to the brim, right? So he did not do that. So he went back and did that. And then I got to re-explain to him where the turnoff was. I'm like, hey, it looks like this. It's not really on Onyx. It's kind of on Onyx. But you you can see, you know, once you get to Onyx, like doesn't know where it is, then just use your eyes and you could see the big turnoff. Bunch of cows. It's all flattened out by cows. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's how you find it from there. And so he did. And then I'm like, okay, so cool getting late, you know, sun's already down at this point. So he found the track. And so then from there, it should take him about an hour to get to where I'm at. And then from there, the Onyx roads are actually really good. The road, the mountain roads itself are very clearly defined in Onyx. And so is my point. And so I'm like, all right, sweet. He'll be getting here with the water soon. I'm very thirsty. (laughs) It's my fault. I did not pack nearly enough water for desert hunting. My goodness, there was water there. So dumb. I should have had. I should have had my water filtration system, but I didn't think I would need it because this was just going to be a quick weekend hunt. Poor planning. His poor planning on my part. And so, it's like an hour. Eh, he's not here yet. No big deal. He's taking it slow. It's dark, so you want to go slower. It's an hour and a half. Okay, a little weird. Definitely should have been here by now. Uh, it's two hours. Okay. It's getting a little weird, but I've got cell service. It's Saturday night. I'm watching the UFC fights. <laughs> no big deal. It's now three hours. It's like nine o'clock. I'm like, okay, he absolutely should have been here by now. Texting, texting, calling, nothing. Getting nothing. And then like 10 o'clock rolls around and he finally calls me. He goes, dude, I was hot. You didn't see me. Like I was honking. I had my lights going. I got a flat tire. So I had to fix that. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then one of my ladders fell off. I'm like, oh my gosh. He had to go back and find it, get his ladder and put it back on. He's like, dude, I just, and I just left. I just left, man. I'm like, no, like I needed the water. I have no water. He's like, dude, I I wasn't feeling it. I I was honking. You should have found me. So what ended up happening was he went to a different one of my points than the point I was at. I sent him a couple uh, and then left. So I uh, was on the mountain with no water. You know, plenty of gas and the truck's fine, but I didn't have any water. So I'm like, well, this is a bummer. So I had a little bit of water. I drank the melted ice out of my cooler. (laughs) Hey, you got to do what you got to do when you're real thirsty. All right. You know, melted ice water in the bottom of a, you know, questionably clean (laughs) cooler is better than no water or the cow piss water, basically, of the, uh, the few springs that were in the area. So I drank that for the night. And then the next morning, I headed back because the whole point was to hunt with him and be able to use, you can use radios out there, you're allowed to, and have Matt kind of guide me in to get better, a better chance at these guys. Oh, I forgot. There was one more hunt between when I lost those bachelor bucks. That's right. There was or one more stock. Yeah, basically. So I'm like, oh, geez, this is bananas. So I'm heading back to the truck. This is before my communications with Matt. And I see this group and I see them head up this crazy steep hill, crazy steep, and then head over. So I'm like, okay, I'll make a plan for those guys. So I'm heading up and I follow basically exactly where they went. I finally got to the top of this crazy steep hill. Oh my gosh, so steep. And uh, I'm kind of peeking over and I see one male 
feeding, a single buck feeding, and then he lays down. I'm like, okay, you do have to play the wind. You know, they, they do still have a great sense of smell, better than our senses of smell. So you got to loop all the way around basically to get with the wind, right? As well as he's in a bowl, he's in a nice little bowl. And so there's a lip that I could get to on the backside that will allow me to approach, right? And so I'm hugging the backside of that steep hill. And dude, I jump a really nice four point deer, really nice mule deer, beautiful buck. And he was like sitting in the sun. I'm like, dude, I don't know about that, man, but you know, he had some age to him. Whatever. I guess you were doing okay. Sitting in direct sunlight. <laughs> Bananas. So he bolts, goes around, no big deal. He doesn't go towards the antelope. That's the main thing. So I'm continuing my path. Just just keep following the path, going around this hill. And as I kind of peek over the top of that hill, there's that deer walking walking, walking, and he just does not see me. He's tired, his tongue's out because he was walking, or he was, you know, he bolted from me and it's hot as heck. And so he's walking. And I mean, if I was mule deer hunting, if I had a tag in my pocket, that would have been a dead, dead, dead buck because he walks to 40 yards, stops, he's looking around. Like, come, I'm not shaded or like obstructed at all. He just does not see me. So kind of a practice thing that you can do to practice your breathing and keeping yourself calm is to like draw down on animals. And so I, you know, knocked an arrow, drew back, and my finger was completely off the trigger. So with a, if you put your hand on the back of the trigger, basically it cannot go off. And so I keep my hand, my fingers on the back of the trigger and I draw back. And so there's never a chance of the bow going off. Ranged him 40 yards. And so I drew back, you know, settled in on his vitals. And he finally saw me when I drew back. He saw that movement. And um, so fingers completely off the trigger. No chance of the bow going off. I'm just like, get calm, breathe. And I'm like, man, you are lucky, sir. <laughs> you are extremely lucky that I do not have a buck tag because, man, you would have been dead as a doornail. I let off and then he bolts again. I'm like, all right, bro, have a good one. <laughs> Appreciate the practice. So he he takes off again away from the antelope, which is sweet. And then I make my way, continue my path and make my way over to the backside of the bull and then up to the lip where I thought he was. Well, as I'm doing that, what did I say earlier? Pronghorn are not going to do what you think that they're going to do. And he moved over to the left quite a bit. And I'm like, where is he? I don't see him. And I look over to the left. And he's just staring at me. And so are his girls, who I had no idea that were there. More of them sprung up out of nowhere. And they're just staring at me. I'm like, son of a gun. So one of the interesting things about them is they are very curious about new things. And you know they don't see a lot of people out here. So they're just staring at me. I'm like, okay, maybe if I just low crawl like trying to get back out of sight and then inch back to where I was and then pop over the top. Anyway, they're like, eh, nah, I don't really like that. So they bolt towards me because I was out of sight at this point. And I hear them and they're moving towards me. Like, oh, dude. And the females continue to move behind the lip. But then that buck comes to about six yards frontal, staring right at me, like uh, directly facing me, and then stops at right about 60. So at this point, oh man, I am all excited from the interaction. I ranged it 60 yards, knock an arrow, draw back. Oh man. And so a <laughs> frontal on a pronghorn, which is small, dude, they're like German shepherd sized, a little taller. They're not big, and that was not much. You know, a, a frontal shot from my size of bow and the size of arrows that I'd be shooting would be it would be deadly, just because of so much power that's moving through that. You know, I, my bow is tuned for elk, so if I hit it, it's gonna die. You know, so I draw back, and I'm like, oh, just, uh, you know, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm all excited at this point. 
and I'm trying to settle and I'm trying to, I'm trying to settle my pin. And uh, I'm like, I think I got him. Po release. Flies right to his left. I'm like, oh, son of a God. Totally missed. So he bolts, didn't like that. Weird sound. Something flew right past him. And they go down the backside of that hill, down into this drainage, and onto private property. I'm like, oh, shoot, man. That was my that that was my shot. You know, <laughs> I did get to shoot. At least I got to shoot. At least I got to uh, release an arrow. So that was a bummer. They end up never coming back. So then I head back to the truck, and that is when the Matthew fiasco began. So the next day, I'm like, man, I'm just whooped. Two days of hard all day hunting. I'm like, man, that's that's what I got. You know, my main priority was the elk tag that I had coming up in three weeks. Yeah, at that point, right? Yeah, three weeks. Oh, goodness gracious. So I'm like, I can't, you know, I wanted to get home uh, and, and could just continue that prepping. You know, it was a good, it was a good two days. I definitely, I did not know that once you draw or my instance purchase, a Nevada pronghorn buck tag, you can't draw one for another three years. I did not know that. So if I did, I would have probably went out and hunted that a bit longer. I did not. That was a bummer. So ugh, I have at least four years now before I can draw. Well, this year including three. So three years of no possibility of drawing a uh, buck antelope tag in Nevada. Big bummer. Big bummer. So, no biggie. It was a great experience. I had a blast. I had a lot of good stocks. A few more in there that were not really consequential and didn't really turn out to be anything. But um, I had a good time doing it. And I'll be back. You know, I can still draw a doe tag, which would be totally cool. And they're during the rut, so rifle is allowed. Which, if I had a rifle, I could have killed 10. But... That is bow hunting. <laughs> we don't do it because it's easy. Oh man, we do it because it's fun and challenging. So that was my 2021 Nevada buck antelope hunt. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us an awesome review. Five stars. That would be sweet. Really appreciate you listening to the Wildlife Command Center podcast. This is your host, Chris Starr, signing off. Have a great one, everybody. God bless. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus. Download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.